scripture reading this evening is from John 10, 11 through 15. John 10, 11 through 15. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. While your Bibles are open to John 10, let's back up if we may and read verses 1 through 10. That's the building blocks upon which this lesson is built. We've talked about this this morning, but I want us to get the, the full picture in front of us before we study tonight. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke it to them. And then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then the essence of this whole lesson summarized in verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. One version says that they may have it to the fullest. I hope that we appreciate that everything in this entire text, verses 1 through 15, is predicated upon the basis of verse 10. Jesus promising to give his followers the abundant life. This morning we talked about how that in both Old and New Testament there are references to sheep and shepherds. And since we no longer live in an agrarian society, it's very easy for us to understand the text but not the context. And so we spent some time this morning building hopefully a foundation for our study tonight upon which we can make some spiritual application. There are two things we mentioned this morning that you need to know about sheep. Number one is that they are defenseless. Number two is that they're not terribly intelligent. Thirdly, we also talked about how the sheep have two primary purposes, at least they did in the first century world, or maybe I should say primarily in the first century world. One is for meat and the other is for wool. And since a sheep can be sheared more than once, that is when its wool is sheared, it uh, of course grows back over a course of time. That means that a sheep would stay in a person's fold for a number of years. During that time, they would develop a relationship, almost a friendship. And he would begin to name those sheep, and they would know his voice, and they would follow him based on only the fact that they would know his voice. Now, all t- people, I- I'm convinced in light of verse 10, have one thing in common, and that is everybody that I know of in their right mind wants to live that abundant life that Jesus promised. They, they want to be able to live life to the fullest, and-, and there are all kinds of things in the medical world, in the health community that help us to be able to add years to our life. But the question that Jesus is asking, or maybe I should say the question that he's answering, and that we're constantly asking is, what about quality of life? How can you have that abundant life? 
And I believe that he wasn't, didn't have just in mind this world, but also the next as well. In fact, the primary application, perhaps, is, is to the next life. But Jesus says, if you want to enjoy life to the fullest, till it literally overflows, then the way that you're going to do that is to accept the responsibility, the assignment of being a sheep and the shepherd of the Lord. And so it just, isn't just a matter if I want to sign up and hopefully you will know where to send all my blessings. No, it's going to be now an ongoing, constant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not willing to accept that relationship, if you're not willing to accept that level of familiarity, then you're not qualified to be one of his sheep. But this tonight, we want to look at the spiritual application and notice three things about this sheep-shepherd relationship that I think is of paramount importance. Jesus said that he came to give life in abundance. But we need to know that that full and abundant life that Jesus promises doesn't have anything to do with medicine or vitamins. It doesn't have anything to do with exercise or fancier homes or cars. In fact, to put it in its proper perspective, Jesus said that the full life has something to do with the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. Now, if you're like me, once you accept or before you accept an assignment, you want to know what's involved. You want to know before you sign a blank check, what is, what's the person going to put, what amount is going to be required of me? And I believe that anyone before they says, I want to be a sheep in the fold of the Lord, ought to be able to know, and that's why we have this owner's manual, the Bible, what kind of shepherd we're going to be following. I want to know who I'm following, and I want to know where he's going. And, and Jesus certainly acknowledges that, not only in our text, but all during his personal ministry. The shepherd wants his sheep to follow him, but the text shows that there's only one shepherd that can deliver that full life, that life eternal, and that shepherd goes by the name of Jesus. Now, again, I didn't want to disappoint you. You knew that I was going to eventually say that. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the one whose voice that we should listen to. He is the one whose voice that we should spend time with every day. And if you want life in the abundance, then you're going to have to follow the voice of Jesus. That's the whole point of this passage, if I understand it. The passage also informs us that the good shepherd knows his sheep. Now, you knew that before you came here. But it's important that we reiterate that principle, that, that the good shepherd is intimately familiar with his sheep. Because one of the points that we made this morning, and we're going to repeat tonight, is that the good shepherd always takes care of the needs of his sheep. How can he do that if he doesn't know anything about the sheep? There are shepherds in the world today who claim to know you and who claim to know exactly what you need. You can turn see them on TV all the time, and they're always promising to make life better for you if you'll just purchase their product. If you'll listen to and follow their advice, they promise to give you a fuller life. But there is no shepherd anywhere who knows us like Jesus knows us. I wish I could say that more emphatically so that I could really drive that point home. But Jesus knows us better than anybody. And that ought to instill a great deal of confidence and blessed assurance in our hearts to know that we are following a shepherd who knows us intimately and who loves us nonetheless. That's because he knows what's locked away deep in my heart and deep within your heart. He knows better than anyone else what I truly need to make me fulfill. What is it? That makes you tick. How are you wired? Well, Jesus knows all of those things because he's the one who created you. Jesus knows what I desire more than anyone else. And he knows when I'm distressed. And he also knows when I'm at the other end of the emotional spectrum. He knows when I'm happiest. And this concept of life to the fullest has something to do with Jesus knowing everything there is to know about each one of us. So there could be no confidence 
if the shepherd doesn't really know his sheep. So Jesus gives that assurance to us in our text. He really does know the sheep. Another thing we need to know is the shepherd takes care of every need of the flock. As just mentioned, one point is based on the other. He, he can't meet our needs if he doesn't really know who we are, if he doesn't know what our deepest needs are. If you continue reading in verses 11 and 15, as Jim did just a moment ago, Jesus continues to speak. And he's telling, well, let's just read it one more time. Jim did a good job, but I want us to get this in front of us and keep it fresh. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. If you didn't know anything else about the first 15 verses of John chapter 10, wouldn't that last statement give you some assurance, some reaffirmation in your faith that Jesus is willing to lay down his life for his sheep, to know that he's willing to sacrifice anything? In fact, he's done that. He's proven that, hasn't he? The old rugged cross proves that Jesus is willing to pay the last ounce of blood that he has for our best welfare, for our greatest benefit. Jesus is telling us that there are many who are trying to be your shepherd. They're trying to be your spiritual leader, but they are only pretenders. And there are a lot of pretenders out there in the world. And they want you to believe that they can supply all of your needs. But Jesus says they're more like hired hands. They're someone who works only for the money. They have a mercenary motivation behind what they do. And Jesus says, I guarantee you, when trouble comes, when those pressure points in life are there, when the, uh, when the wolf begins to charge, the first thing they're going to do is turn back, their back on you and they're going to run away because you're not their own. You're not their flock. They only have a, a monetary vested interest in you. And so that's their, that's their concern is whether they get paid at the end of the day, not about what happens to you. But when things get tough, danger comes, Jesus is stating in this text, we understand that uh, when, it, when the pressure comes on this wannabe shepherd, that he'll turn and run for the hills and leave you by yourself. So part of what Jesus is saying is just reality therapy. I mean, common sense dictates, I think, everything that he is saying to us. But it's good to hear the good shepherd say those things and to reaffirm our hearts. But then he assures us also that I am the good shepherd. When danger comes, even if it costs me my life, I'm not going to leave any of you because I love you and I care for you more than I care for my own life. And so I want us to know tonight that full abundant living has something to do with a shepherd who really knows you and who can take care of you and who is willing to lay down his life for you. Here's another thing. This life not only the abundant life, not only has to do with the kind of shepherd that we have decided to follow, it also has a great deal to do with the kind of sheep that we are. I mean, any shepherd like our spiritual shepherds here can know, they do know, that the kind of sheep we are determines the destiny of our own lives. The sh our shepherds can't look constantly over our shoulders to make sure that we're always making the right decision. They're concerned about our welfare. They pray for our spiritual benefit but they can't make us do right any more than any other person can. So a lot has to do with what kind of sheep we are. 
Now, this might be the hardest part of all in light of the two characteristics that we mentioned a moment ago about sheep on the other, the secular side of that analogy. Because to put yourself or to see yourself at the role of sheep, how can I say this? Requires a great deal of humility. Because what we know about sheep is not always good. It's not always complimentary. Recall what I said earlier about sheep being defenseless. Now, I know I'm talking to a group of people tonight who consider themselves to be strong and capable. And for good reason. But there's one who is, there's no one, I should say, who is among us who's strong enough to go out into the arena of our greatest enemy, Satan, and fight him toe-to-toe by ourselves. Are you hearing me, church? There's nobody here capable enough, strong enough to go on our own and to fight Satan and win that battle. Consider, if you will, for a moment, the song we sometimes sing, A Mighty Fortress. And listen to the line in the first stanza that says this, for still our ancient, it's a little bit uh, stilted in the language, but I think you'll get the import. For still our ancient foe, I think you know who the foe is, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. We could all say amen, a hearty amen to that. That's another way of saying, don't underestimate the power and the guile of the enemy. We are defenseless against him if we are left to our own devices. In fact, this book says, and I hope you're listening to this, this book says that the only defense that we have on our own is to run from Satan. Now, it's one thing for me to say that. It's another thing for me to prove it. The Bible tells us that that is our strategy, should be our spiritual strategy in the face of our constant battle against Satan and his devices and those who work for him. Let me give you a couple of passages, even though there's a lot, just two I want to mention. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 tells us to flee sexual immorality. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 tells us to flee youthful lusts. But you will never anywhere ever find the Bible telling us to stand toe-to-toe with Satan and to take Satan on all by ourselves. That is not the battle strategy that God's Word recommends. Just fight him as best you can on your... No, it doesn't say that. And remember, we have not only this precept and this principle in God's Word, we also have the practice. We have it in example. We have skin on it so that we can see what the real, the right strategy looks like. And that's what Joseph did, is it not? In the house of Potiphar. Joseph's presence was a blessing to the house of Potiphar. I think whenever we recount the story of Joseph and appreciate and applaud him for his spiritual tenacity, that we should never forget that one of the reasons why he was in favor with Potiphar was but the fact that Joseph being in their house brought God's blessings upon that whole house. Potiphar realized, he was wise enough to realize that just his association with Joseph was bringing good things to his life. The Bible says so. But you know that Potiphar's own wife made several advances toward Joseph and she wanted him to lie with her. She grabbed his coat on one occasion. Joseph slips out of his coat. What does he do? He runs out of the house. Now that didn't look very... James Bond-like, did it? But he did exactly the right thing. He, listen to me, people, he ran out of the house. Elbows pumping, he got out of that situation. I've told young people before that when they find themselves surrounded by sin and confronted by temptation, they ought to get up and run. 
That is the best thing they can do to ensure their survival. Don't worry about whether it looks debonair and whether it has all the right appearances. The only way that you're going to survive spiritually is to run from that temptation, from that sin. But even then, we need the good shepherd to step in between us and Satan. Allow him to fight Satan away from us. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I read somewhere in Ephesians 6 verse 10. I really hate to bring up the other characteristic of sheep that we mentioned earlier, but I must, and that is that sheep just are not very smart. It's not my intention to insult anybody here this evening. I know that I'm talking to an audience of people who are very intelligent and highly educated, and I would consider myself to be of average intelligence. But I know that some of you in this room are successful in whatever field that you're in. There are some people in this room tonight that are successful in litigating cases in a courtroom. There's others of you that can build buildings from the ground up, and they're actually we're actually able to occupy them. Many I could build a building from the ground up, but you wouldn't want to live in it. You know what I'm talking about. Many of you can buy and sell things for, for profit, and some of you can read large sections of material. You can retain that material even when it's written in other languages. That boggles the mind, but there are people in this audience who have that capability. And in this church, there are others who are capable of teaching others, those who protect and serve our community, others who understand the intricate details of computer technology. And so I get it that this audience is comprised of very knowledgeable and very capable people. But I have to say it again. The very brightest person in this room isn't smart enough to direct his own steps in life. I know that because the Bible says so. Jeremiah was right on target when he said, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own footsteps. Jeremiah 10 verse 23. So if you want to live this complete and full and abundant and eternal life, that Jesus promised in John 10, verse 10, then you, you need, you in fact must have a shepherd. Thirdly and finally, this full life has something to do with the shepherd or the sheep's willingness to listen to the shepherd. It's one thing to have the right kind of shepherd who's looking out for you, who would lay down his life for you. It's another thing to do our dead level best to be the right kind of sheep who listens to the shepherd's voice. But that's why this third point is so important. Are we really listening? We are surrounded by a world, now I know this is going to sound redundant, but I intend it to be that way. We are surrounded by a world of worldliness. I mean, everywhere we go, we're hearing the voice of the enemy, aren't we? All you got to do is just turn on to, in fact, I was watching a YouTube the other day, and it was, it was something along the lines of, can you guess what sitcom from the 70s that these songs came from. And, and every one of the 20 or 30 of those songs, number one, most of them are very familiar to me, but I was thinking what a different age it was back then. I mean, we're no longer turning on our TV sets and watching Andy Griffith, are we? I mean, we are bombarded with the enemy's call just by turning on our computer screens or our TV sets or our radios. We're not living in grandfather's world anymore. And we could sit around and we could commis commiserate about that or we can deal with the reality of it and know that despite the fact that the enemy is strong, he is ever present and that he will never ever give up until this world is ended, that you and I can take solace and, and assurance in knowing that the shepherd is much stronger. 1 John 4 verse 4, John writing to Christians says, Greater is he that is in you 
than he that is in the world. Isn't that good to know? You and I are serving a risen Savior, and he has more power than anything in this universe, and we need to know that. So are we listening to his voice, or are we listening to the voice of the world? Have you noticed every day there are so many voices that are, that are sounding off to get our attention? There is a cacophony of voices, and yet in all of these voices, it's my responsibility and is your responsibility to listen to that one voice and, and to recognize that voice as my, as my shepherd and to listen to that voice and only that voice. And I know that that assignment is difficult and it requires a great deal of discipline, a great deal of spiritual growth, but that's what this whole thing is all about. In this congregation, you'll probably notice that we will never teach the latest philosophy to come down the pike. And we don't spend our time teaching what the best-selling author has to say in his or her latest book. We, at least we attempt, to listen to the voice of Jesus. And we make no apologies for that. That's what this church is about. That is what God intended for his church to be about as long as it's on the face of the earth. We listen to the voice of Jesus. And that's why we keep emphasizing Bible classes and, and, and worship assemblies and daily personal Bible reading and Bible study. And all of that we are, or at least should be, listening to the voice of the shepherd. And I don't want to be that person who's been a member of the kingdom of Christ for years and years and years and isn't familiar enough with this book to hear and to know the voice of the shepherd when I hear it. The more we listen to his voice day after day, the more we recognize his voice. And the greater is our ability then to notice and to be able to know what those counterfeit substitutionary voices are that are, we're being bombarded with from the world. Let me give you one last perspective. But this perspective does not come from me. It comes from the voice of experience, someone who had really been there and walked the walk and talked the talk. Because this young man, he himself was a shepherd because he knew what that was about. And, and he knew firsthand with firsthand knowledge about shepherding and about the characteristics of sheep. And as an older man, he was a leader among men. In fact, the king of all of Israel. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. But even as a leader, he never lost that burning desire to be the kind of sheep that always faithfully follows the, the shepherd. So he, so he always saw himself as a sheep in the flock of the Lord. And you know his most famous writing. But let's end this study tonight by listening to these words again carefully. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A few observations about that powerful verse. Kind of sad, though, isn't it, that about the only time you hear the 23rd Psalm anymore is at a graveside. We need to open up God's word and read it when it's fresh and relevant to us and what it means the most. Allow me to paraphrase what David is saying in this wonderful psalm. David is saying, first of all, that he's thankful that the Lord is his good shepherd because he doesn't have any real need that has been left unfulfilled. He doesn't have any real reason to worry. Let me say that again. David is expressing in this psalm that he has no real reason to ever have to worry again. Some of us are card-carrying worriers. Let's just go ahead and admit it. 
and we worry about everything that's out of our control. Wouldn't you like to live the kind of life that Jesus promises that, that you don't ever have to worry again? Life is so full, it's so abundant, and, and David says there's no reason to ever worry again. David is also saying in the second place that the good shepherd takes care of all his physical needs. In sheep terms, David says, the shepherd leads him to the right kind of pastures and to the right kind of waters, and he does that, watch this, every time. You know what a blessing it is? And this is not a rhetorical question. I hope that you'll answer this at least within the framework of your own mind. Do you know what a blessing it is to have a house to live in? I mean, it was raining when I came over here, but it's not raining in my house. At least it wasn't when I left. It was hot all day long, but it's not hot in my house. I even have air conditioning, and most of you do as well. What a blessing it is to have a roof over our heads when many people in the world don't know what that luxury would be like. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And to know that i got a bed to sleep in and that I have food to eat. Sometimes when, whenever we have a meal that me and I are sharing together at home and I'm giving thanks for that meal, I'll mention that. A part of my gratitude to a good and a great God is the fact that I have lived all these years and I have, to the best of my remembrance, never, ever, ever had to worry about where the next meal is going to come from. Can you say that? Most of us can't. We've never had to worry about having enough food to eat. The Lord, the Good Shepherd, takes care of every one of our physical needs, and he does that every time. The Good Shepherd, David also says, takes care of our spiritual needs as well, and that even ups the score. Deep down inside, David said, he restores David's soul, think about the spiritual implications of that, and, and he directs him into the paths of righteousness. We never have to worry that he's going to lead us in the wrong direction spiritually, but then David says that the good shepherd continues to protect him from danger. David could be even in the valley of the shadow of death, and yet he's not afraid because the shepherd has this staff that he's able to drive away all danger. The shepherd doesn't keep us from experiencing danger, understand that. That doesn't mean that we're going to go through the world unscathed and that danger will never approach us. That's not what he's promising. But he drives danger away with his staff and with his rod. And even when David is surrounded by all of his enemies, the shepherd somehow makes a mockery of David's enemies. Appreciate the imagery. He anoints my head with oil, and then the table overflows. It's like he's preparing a large banquet feast in the midst of David's enemies, and David is the only one invited. They think you're nothing. They spit on you when they say, the Lord himself, the good shepherd, is going to prepare a banquet feast, and you're the only one that got an invitation. He's celebrating at the Lord's banquet table while his enemies are outside barking at a passing train. That's the imagery of Psalm 23. And then David says this one last thing. His life is made more abundant because of the good shepherd. He says, my cup overflows. That just means it runs over. And that's another way of saying what Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, if we may bring this full cycle back to our original statement about, I have come that you may have life and have it till it overflows. And David says, my life is so full and so abundant that it's like my cup. It's just always overflowing. I think most of us could say that about our experiences as well. That is, God supplies all of my needs, both spiritual and physical, and then he adds an extra measure. Do you remember what I said earlier about the abundant living that Jesus offers being forever? David concludes this wonderful psalm 
saying that his life with the shepherd will be all the days of my life. And then he ends by saying, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for a little while. No, forever. He's the only one who knows everything about you. He's able to supply everything that you need physically and spiritually. Do, do we want life like that? Then so, if so, I have to ask this question. Are you willing to follow him and become a member of his flock? Make no mistake about it. In first century terms and in 21st century terms, his flock is his church. That's where we enter that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus only has one flock, one fold, one church. And he says the only way to get into that fold is through him. The word of God tells us that the only way to get into Christ is by believing in him, by confessing his sonship, by turning away from sin and sincere repentance and being immersed into his death through baptism. And then you come up out of the waters of baptism cleansed and completely forgiven, and guess what? You're added by the Lord himself to his flock. And then you'll have the joyous task of listening to everything the shepherd says to you about having life abundant and life eternal. I got a quick confession to make before we sing the song of invitation. In light of what we've talked about this morning and tonight, I have a problem wrapping my brain around and fully comprehending two things. I have difficulty understanding why anyone would not want to live life to the fullest and to have life eternal in Christ Jesus. I simply do not understand why anyone would not choose to become a member of his church, his flock. Here's the second thing I have difficulty understanding. Even more than that, I don't understand I don't understand why anyone would ever leave Jesus and slip back into the world. I don't know why anyone would ever crawl back over that fence and go back there into the world that's so dangerous where Satan is prince and where all that awaits us is destruction. So tonight, if you need to confess Christ as your shepherd and be immersed to become a part of his church, or if you need to return to his fold tonight, I'm guaranteeing you this, totally honest, you're not going to have the abundant life where you are right now if you're outside of Christ or if you have left your relationship with him. But through repentance, you can come back home. And that's what we invite you to do while we stand and while we sing. A place in his sanctified throng. Why not, why not, why not come to him now? Why not, why not, why not come to him now? What do you hope, dear brother, to gain by a further delay? There's no one to save you but Jesus. There's no other way but his way. Why not? Why?